0: I appreciate just uh, overwhelming amount of support and and the, just the kind words that Elaine and I have received from you guys over the last week. It has really been encouraging, and um, you guys have made a very difficult thing um, go go well for us. And so we're so thankful, and it's just affirmed um, affirmed our love. Uh, our love for you and and affirmed our understanding of who you are as a people in a church you know there are there are times when god's word is, has maybe an extra providential measure and so there may be something that you're struggling with at a certain period of time and god leads you to a passage or um, or a friend uh, leads you to a passage and it's something that just ministers to you in a special and in a unique way, and it's just at the right time. And uh, I can say that I've experienced that this week by studying for my sermon, and it just so happens that as we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, that we have gotten to this point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that was a great ministry to me that I don't know that it would have been that if I had just read through it. But because I was um, reading through it for the purpose of preparing a sermon, it has meant a great deal to my heart, and uh, I hope that you'll be able to understand that today. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 17, verses 17 through 20. If you would like to go ahead and turn there so you can follow along, mm-hmm. and I'd first just like to pray for our time. Father, thank you for calling us as your people and for making us your children. Lord, thank you for choosing for us to be your son's bride and therefore showering upon us great love and acceptance, giving us great value and worth. And Father, for working in us, transforming our lives so that we may be presented to your Son, is holy and blameless. Father, remind us of these truths as we approach your Word and as we approach your heart in the pages of Scripture. Lord, I pray that as we look at the relationship between Paul and the Thessalonians, that we would recognize your care and kindness towards your church. Father, also that we would see your glory in a new and a powerful way. Father, most of all, as is clear, as is a clear goal of the Holy Spirit, I pray that now you would give us eyes for Christ, that we would know him, that we would understand that we're known by him, and that our hearts would be so ready to receive his words and his touch. We pray this now in His name. Amen. Before I read, this is where we're going to go, and this is what this sermon is going to be built upon or either built up to. The Gospel does a special and unique work of unifying people now and for eternity. The Gospel does a special and unifying work of unifying a unique work of unifying people now and for eternity. 1 Thessalonians two seventeen. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is the word of the Lord. Now certainly we can understand that the gospel does a unifying work for everyone who believes in his name for eternity. In fact, that's probably one of the um, most common themes of Christianity is eternity in heaven with the people of God and with Jesus. Um, but I hope that we will also see that this passage highlights something other than just eternity, or not maybe not other, but more than just eternity in heaven with all of God's people and with God Himself. And And so I hope that this gives us a glimpse into that today. And the first thing I want us to see as we look at this passage is the reality of unified hearts. The reality of unified hearts. We're also going to see the reunion of the second coming and the glory and joy of your people. I want to just briefly read something from Colossians 2 verse 5 where Paul, speaking to a different group of people, a different church in a different city, he says for though, and this is when he is in prison when he's speaking to the Colossians by the way he says for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So here is here are two examples of Paul speaking to a group of people through, work, through a letter not being there in person, but letting them know that he's unified with them in other ways. Now, prior to my uh, announcement here, I sought counsel with a number of different people, and I had multiple people share with me about about my leaving here and um, some advice on what that should look like. And I had a few people that... Told me that this needs to be planned carefully to where you are not uh, there longer than just a couple of weeks after you make your announcement. After you announce that you're leaving, and the just the reasoning philosophy behind that was that as soon as you do, as soon as you make that announcement, all of a sudden there's going to be a disconnect between your people. And between your people in your ministry and between relationships, and um, or the relationships now compared to the relationships that were there before. But then I had other people tell me something different. And um, this is a quote from my, he's my famous mentor, I think, uh, here at our church. Henry Lewis Smith told me this. He said, Stay as long as you can, and then use this time to affirm and solidify your eternal place in their heart and their eternal place in yours. And I liked that one a lot better. And I feel like that really sums up his his heart for ministry, and I hope my heart will be the same way. His heart for ministry, I think follows the example of Paul. And it's beautiful because he wanted to make sure that my time here would be spent affirming my place in your hearts and affirming your place in mine. Now maybe you've noticed, and maybe you've noticed that the Bible uses the language of family when speaking of spiritual things. Consider God being our Father, Consider that we are known as God's children as we come in to his family by faith. Jesus is seen in the scriptures as our elder brother. When Paul addresses and and other apostles as they address other Christians, they refer to them as brothers and sisters. Paul even speaks of being a spiritual father to some of the people that he is referring to or writing to. And look at Luke 8. If you'd like to turn to Luke 8, let's see what Jesus says when He's speaking about true family. Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. Then his Jesus' mother and His brothers came to Him but they could not reach Him because of the crowd. And He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But He answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. Now, I don't think Jesus was denying His family, but I think Jesus was making it very clear that those who are within the fold of the faith are considered the family of God and considered His family. And we see this over and over again in Scripture as the Bible presents to us the church or the people of God. It refers to them as a family and a unit. And then, of course, when we see what true conversion is, the Bible refers to it as being born again. And this new birth is describing what it means to be born into God's family, to be at a new place where now we have this new family. I've often thought about my relationships throughout life, from childhood up until today, and I don't think that it is a coincidence that my strongest connections, including you here, my strongest connections are with those that I've experienced God's grace with. And I've come to this conclusion, and I hope to share this with my children, even as they're young, to let them know that if you want a lifelong friendship, then you need to be spiritually involved with someone. That that's what connects you for life. That's what connects you for life because it connects you with God's family. Now, as we see this concept, this Points to something that is consistent with Paul as a missionary and as a a pastor, because though he has left the Thessalonians physically, though he has left though he we see that he leaves the Ephesians and the Galatians and the Colossians physically, he remains connected to them and his love for them doesn't die. And this is because there is this real spiritual union there. A real spiritual union has taken place between him and the people that he is with. And if I remember rightly, and this is amazing the way that Paul speaks to people in his letters, one, how honest he is in the letters, but also just how, effect, how he portrays affection for these people. And, and I think this is right, that he did not stay longer at any church longer than a year and a half as their pastor. And yet there's this intense affection between Paul and his people. And it's something that's stronger than time. And it's something that's stronger than ge- geography that has connected Paul with his people, as we see so clearly in his letters. And so I want us to get from this when he is telling them. He's not there in person, but he's there in heart. And as we see this pattern throughout his other letters that we would see that investing spiritually in others and walking with others in spiritual matters and, understand, and growing in Christ creates a bond like no other. More than even blood family. Because you're experiencing the family of God together. Being invested in someone spiritually or being invested by someone spiritually also creates this intense bond like no other. And so I want to start there, and I hope you'll consider the opportunities that you've been given to establish these kind of relationships with people, to recognize something that geography and even Satan himself can't separate. So do you see that Satan is hindering... Paul from going back to Thessalonica and yet his love for them remains intense and great. So I hope you'll consider that. Even children today here that are hearing this, I hope you'll consider youth, that you'll consider the bond that this spiritual union creates and what it will mean for the rest of your life. I also want us to see as we continue through this passage the reunion of the second coming. And we see this in verse 19 where Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Now, the second coming of Christ, this is a central theme of Paul's theology. It's a central theme of his teaching. And it is something that's already been mentioned in his letter in chapter 1 where Paul is so thankful and he's expressing this thanks by uh, recognizing that the Thessalonians have turned away from their idols and in so doing, they're waiting for Jesus to return. This is at the end of chapter 1 where he references that. And so this is a central theme all throughout his writings and all throughout his teachings. Paul wants his hearers to understand the importance of Christ's Return, But I also think that we're to see here that Paul's longing was to be reunited in person with the people that he was also united with in spirit, that he had been separated from by geography or even by death. And so he sees the importance of that when looking at the second coming of Christ. He sees the reunion that is to come. And he sees that it's for him and the Thessalonians. I remember being at a wedding a few years ago and a couple was getting married that I worked with out at um, a camp during my summers in college. And, And both the husband and the wife both worked out there during the time that I was there. And I remember at this wedding we all came and people from all over the country that had dispersed all over the country We're a part of this wedding and we had all worked together and we all reunited at this wedding. And I realized, this was after the fact, but I realized that there had to be something that united us together because it would have taken me far beyond the rest of my life to go and visit every one of these people all throughout the country. But this wedding brought us together and it brought us into this reunion and it was such an exciting time as we recalled memories and as we just caught everybody up on what all is going on. And therefore, I want us to see the contrast of what's going on in this text in 1 Thessalonians 2, because Paul wants them, the Thessalonians, to see that though he has been hindered to see them face-to-face... And regardless of how many times he is going to be hindered from seeing them or has been hindered in the past, he is certain and he wants them to be certain that Jesus is returning and nothing, there is nothing that can stand in the way of that reunion. There is nothing that can hinder him from being once again with the people that he so loved. I loved how Neil put it last week when he said that there will be a day in the new heaven. And the new earth when we won't ever have to send anyone out again or see anyone go again. This is what Paul is looking forward to here. And when that comes, that will be the end of what separates us by geography or even by death. And so if you've lost someone or if you're missing someone, the second coming of Christ, Paul gives us the freedom to long for that to long for the reunion that will come from that, the reunion that will mean that we will all be together there with each other and with the Lord. Third, I want us to see this interesting phrase. It may even be peculiar to you where in verse 20 Paul says, For you are our glory and joy. So let's look at the glory and the joy of your people. Paul's describing, of course, the Thessalonians here. He even says in the verse prior that they are his crown of boasting. And we may read that, and this may be the first time that you've read that, and you may be, even be thinking, is that even right or a correct thing to say? And so I, I want us to do this. I want us to look at a few passages that, um, that don't leave this on an island, but instead show us that Paul refers to this in a number of different places. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for... Again, this is Paul in prison again writing this letter. Therefore, my brothers, whom I, long, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Here are the Philippians. Paul's joy and his crown. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1... 2 Corinthians 1, verse 14. Paul says that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So here's boasting going on of the people who are connected to Paul. and And here is Paul claiming that he will boast of them in that day of the Lord. And then in the second letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness in faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So let me just mention this. Paul gives me the right to boast in you. He gives me the right to claim joy and boasting when I mention you. And He gives you the right to boast in people who are your people, who, are, who you are connected with spiritually. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I think gives us a great picture of this. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now I hope that you can see the connection that Paul is bringing to this passage with all of the other ones that I've just read about boasting in crowns, that Paul understands that when he stands before Jesus, the people that are with him, including the Thessalonians and these others from these other churches, will be there with him. They will be a fruit of his ministry, a fruit of his work, and he will be standing before Christ, boasting in them. And this isn't a prideful thing, but this is a gift of the Lord. In other words, this is a way that God is allowing us to share in the glory of Christ as we share in each other's spiritual growth and each other's new birth. We will boast in one another on the day of the Lord. And this is in a very positive, in a very biblical sense. We will boast in the people that we've had ministry with. People that we've led to the Lord. People that you've discipled. People that you've helped. People that have led you to the Lord. You will boast in them as well. People that have helped you and counseled you. And so, take this phrase, your people. The people that you've poured your life into for the sake of the gospel understand that they will be a major part of your day on the day of the Lord. They will be your crown. They will even be your glory. And I think this is to encourage us to have people to boast in on the day of the Lord. Have people that you can call your joy and your crown on the day of the Lord as you stand before Christ. What a beautiful thing that the Bible tells us. That your people will not be burned up in the fire of the day of the Lord, but instead your people will be there with you and you will be rejoicing with them and rejoicing in them. And this only makes sense. This only makes sense that our people the people that we're connected with, the people that we've been on a spiritual journey with, it only makes sense that these people would be a huge part of that day because that's how God made us. Consider how God originally made mankind. It was not good for man to be alone, but instead to be in a relationship, to be connected to others, to need one another, and to understand that not only do we need one another now, but we will need one another for all of eternity. This is a beautiful thing, a thing that the gospel does for us in how it unites us to Christ and then to one another. And of course, this should turn our eyes to Jesus who calls us His bride. Because before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Him. In Revelation Revelation chapter 19. Verse 6 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So yes, the gospel unifies us to one another both now and forever, forever, but also understand that by His death, Christ has made us worthy. Worthy to be His bride. And what will the bridegroom do On the day of his wedding to his bride, he will boast in his bride. This is what Revelation is telling us. That we have been granted, because we have been made worthy, we have been granted to clothe ourselves with fine linen, bright and pure. Christ has purified us. We are his joy, his portion. Let us pray. Father, thank You for the unity of the Gospel that it keeps us tied to You and also keeps us tied to one another. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would pursue relationships here understanding this. That there will be a day when we will, yes, first and foremost, rejoice in seeing and being embraced by Christ, but also there will be a day when we rejoice in one another, that we will boast in one another, that we will be reunited to one another for all of eternity. We thank you for the gospel that makes this truth known to us. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.